Inside Divorce. Today, my guest is Kathleen Kingsbury, founder of Breaking Money Silence, which is a wonderful both website and podcast series talking about money and trying to make it more comfortable for people, including women. And of course, we're going to dovetail that topic with divorcing people, because often uh, divorcing is a wake-up call for people to think about money and focus on how they're going to manage it themselves. So welcome, Kathleen. How are you today? I am very good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Well, tell our audience a little bit about yourself so we can get started. Sure. Uh, my company is called KBK Wealth Connection, and I am a coach, a writer, a speaker, and I specialize in the psychology of money. So whether it's my podcast or my latest book, also called Breaking Money Silence, it's really about helping people understand their mindsets, their relationship with money, and then being able to um, talk to other people in their lives about money so they can be more financially successful or experience more financial well-being. Sounds wonderful. You have a lot to share today. I just am always mystified. Why is money such a taboo topic? You know, it is interesting because my the book, Breaking Money Silence, is really about it being a taboo topic. And I would love to say I've completely figured it out. I'd be like a multi-billionaire. <laughs> However, I do think that when we look back historically, what you'll see is often money was not talked about, um, I think, in order to protect the kids. So if you bear with me and you go all the way back to like the king and the queen sitting at the castle and saying <laughs> there's a bunch of gold in the basement, don't tell the kids because we don't want to get attacked. And so, you know, that's a funny version of it, but it really was about trying to protect the kids. And so I think it's passed down generation and generation, the idea that if we don't talk about money, we're protecting the next generation. But both you and I know if we don't talk about money in our families, it's hard to take care of ourselves financially, or we become overly dependent on somebody else financially and put ourselves in a precarious position. So uh, it's a longstanding taboo that I feel very passionate about um, blowing wide open because I think it doesn't serve us. Well, I like that story, uh, why it all started. It's uh, evolved over time, but it's, it's so it's so interesting. I guess parents in some ways don't want to tell kids about money or talk about money because they don't want them to take advantage of it. On the other hand, I suppose they don't. But it is, it's like a parent's obligation to teach your kids about the relationship with money, how to spend it, how to save it, how not to get into debt. It's, it's amazing that it's overlooked. Well, and I think the dilemma is a lot of parents out there who are listening, you know, may not have been given a roadmap on how to do it. So it's really hard to teach a skill that you don't know. Yeah. So part of it is, I think men and women out there need to become more financially literate. We're not great at that as a country. Even if you're really pro professionally successful, it doesn't necessarily mean you know very much about managing money, investing money, gifting money, that kind of thing. And so I think if we develop those skills now and are able to pass it forward, whether you're a parent or someone like me who's an aunt, you know, I feel really strongly that as the kids were being raised, that I influenced them uh, around financial literacy. I'm happy to say I was somewhat successful with at least two out of three. Good. Ah. <laughs> Good. Well, you've improved the lives of two of them, at least. Um, better. But, you know, adults do learn something, or actually should learn something about money management as they, as they live. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon all of us to learn and share and have a philosophy about our relationship with money. And if we're we're married for them, people to at least express that to each other. 
So let's yes, do, yep. right. So that they it, they're compatible on that topic as they would be on any other topic that they you know raising children. Well, isn't and, it interesting when we're dating that one of the things that typically happens, and maybe it's a little bit different with the younger generation, but. I don't necessarily think so, where you share everything, you know, you're falling in love and you share everything with this person that you think is so wonderful. But we often don't talk about money unless we're on like our second marriage Mm -hmm. when we've realized, Mm -hmm. oh, this money thing, it's really a big deal when it comes to marriage. We better at least be money compatible or have the ability to talk about our differences and resolve them. Yes. So if either finally people get more comfortable as they get older or they have more to lose. (laughs) They want to protect it, preserve what they have. So we makes sense. It does. Should happen earlier. All right. So you are an entrepreneur, a coach, an author, and an international speaker. So you have a lot to say, and I'd like I have a lot I want to hear in the next thirty minutes or so of this podcast. So let's talk about some that touch on divorce first. Um, you have statistics on how divorce is often a wake up call for women. Um, Tell me how divorce impacts women's relationship with money, what you're thinking Well, I think it's very interesting, and I don't want to be too stereotypical with what I'm saying, but there is research out there in the financial world around what happens for women who are going through divorce. And just to share some of these key statistics, it's 57% of divorced women say that the divorce itself was a financial wake-up call. So that's kind of the silver lining and often a bad situation in your life. Right. 64% of divorced women say that it made them realize how important it is to be financially aware and independent. Yeah. And then more than nine um, in 10 divorcees urge women to take a more active role in their finances. So I think what ends up happening is it's this wake-up call if you're not already involved in the finances. And this could be true for men as well. Uh, and then what ends up happening through the divorce process is if you do uh, get a support team, you work with a financial advisor, you start to educate yourself financially, it ends up being that on the other side of a lot of these women, and they're you know, probably men too, are more financially confident. So it takes, unfortunately, an a unhappy situation yeah. for most to be able to say, this is really important. I don't want this to... Um, ruin my next relationship. And certainly if you're living single, you need to figure out how to do it yourself. Right. So when you have a client and you're coaching uh, a recently divorced person, how would you start? What's the agenda for getting them financially independent? So what I do is a little bit different than say a financial advisor does. Because Uh I'm a coach and I specialize in the psychology piece, our first couple of appointments are really about helping them understand their money history. What were you taught growing up about money? What is your culture, your religion, your personal experiences? How do they inform your relationship with money? And we do a deep dive into really understanding your money story. And then we look at what are the ways in which your money story helps you be financially successful or feel peace with money? And in what ways does it get in the way? And the beauty is for everybody, it's not black and white. It's not like, oh, that's a bad money personality or money mindset. That's a good one. Usually there are elements that are strengths and challenges. So we look at the things that are strengths and we build them through you know, continuing to reinforce those behaviors and talk about them. And then having people look at what part of their story does not serve them and then how do they go about changing it? 
So an example would be, suppose you're in a relationship. This is actually a client I worked with, and she let her husband do all the investing. She was a very well compensated uh, physician. And when she got divorced, she just immediately took her money, went to a financial advisor, and let the financial advisor control it. So her money story was, I just don't do this thing called money. Mm-hmm. And we looked at why that was. Mm-hmm. Well, in the coaching work that we did, in a short period of time, she was able to realize, well, I do have to take some adult responsibility around money, and I need to not be overly reliant on my financial advisor. Long story short, she ended up being able to manage her anxiety around money. She learned concrete uh, information about money I often refer people to um, people who do very concrete, you know, advising. And then the outcome was she ended up changing advisors because she decided this advisor style doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, she became empowered enough around her money to say, "I need something a little bit different." And so it was really a success story for her to go from being so dependent and so anxious to really managing the money. On yeah. our own. That's an interesting point because financial advisors have different strategies and approaches of their own. And sometimes they don't like people who ask too many questions. They don't want yes, people to be well Yes, it depends on the advisor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really depends on the advisor. And this particular advisor was a great advisor. I just believe that it wasn't a good match for that client and that advisor. It's really about finding somebody that you want to work with, whether it's somebody like me who's a money coach or whether it's an advisor and often it's a team approach that you just feel heard by, you feel like you connect and you can trust, and not everybody's a match for everybody. Yeah. So in, in breaking your money silence, you get people to feel more comfortable in talking about money. And a part of that, it must be the educational process so they know how to think about money. Yes. Well, it's, it's twofold. I, I start again because of the psychology. I start with what were you taught about money growing up? What were you taught about how to engage in a financial conversation? Uh Were you taught that it was okay to talk to the kids, okay to talk to your partner, okay to ask for a raise at work? Like, What were these messages? Whether you were aware of them or not, we spend time surfacing those messages and then looking at, well, what are the ways in which talking about money helps you? It helps you get educated about money. It helps you communicate what your priorities are and values are versus maybe the other person that you're potentially going to be in partnership with. Yeah. It helps you negotiate a raise. It helps you hire an advisor. I mean, there's so many ways in which just having conversations about money can be useful. And then, of course, there's the dollar and cents. So there's the human side, which is the emotions. And then there's the dollar and cents of, I need to know enough to be able to ask the questions or know who to reach out to so I can get help. Yeah. So those are kind of the different components to it. It's very intimidating, the whole money, the world of finance mm. and money. It's a lot to learn. You know, I, I just was writing about this the other day. Basically, one of the things I think we make a mistake, and I find women fall into this more than men, the idea that we have to 100% know what we're doing in order to work with an advisor or to hire somebody around finances, whether it's a financial coach, a money coach, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, we don't feel that way about our car. Like we buy cars, we operate cars. When they break down, we don't beat ourselves up because we don't know how to fix them. We bring them to a qualified mechanic. Uh And so with money, it's the same thing. I'm a true believer. If you know the basics, how to save, how to spend, you know, if gifting is important to you, how to gift, and in the basics of investing and managing credit, then everything else can be filled in over time. And it's really about getting a good team around you that you trust that can continue to educate 
you. And you have to take responsibility. I mean, you are a member of that team as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You have to feel get to that level of confidence where you can engage in a conversation mm-hmm. and not feel stupid, you know what questions to ask, and know what your goal well, is. Well, even if you feel stupid, <laughs> I'm of the belief that even if you feel stupid, that's you judging yourself. Mm-hmm. There, You know, it's true. There is no stupid question. Um, and most, so many people don't understand finance. And also finance can be so complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, balancing a checkbook is one thing. Um, balancing an investment portfolio is a completely different thing. Yeah. So um, I think we need to lower, lower or eliminate the judgment we have on ourselves for not being smart enough. Uh-huh. It, it, it isn't about that. It's that we don't talk about money and everybody believes the other person knows better. And that secrecy keeps us all feeling like shameful around money when in fact, if you start talking about it, you'll realize how many people have holes in their knowledge. Um, and that's okay. They can fill those holes with getting education, working with a professional, whatever the case may be. Right. No, I, I agree. That makes perfect sense. Um, how can a person learn more about money management so that they increase their confidence level? Sure. I think, you know, one of the things is if you've recently gone through a life transition like a divorce. It's really thinking about and being honest with yourself. What are the parts of my relationship with money or what are the parts of money management that I know? You know, a lot of times people will be good at, hey, maybe I'm good at clipping coupons if people do that anymore, promo codes. I'm aging myself. Uh, (laughs) You know, really looking at what am I good at and where are my gaps? And then there are online courses. There are books. There are courses at community colleges. There are so many resources out there to learn the nuts and bolts of money management. I think the other thing you can do is really looking at who are the people in my life that I may be able to start a money conversation with? How do I just say, hey, even I listened to this podcast the other day and they were talking about talking about money. Yeah. And I realized you and I never had a conversation about money. Would you ever be willing to do that and just invite people? And once you invite people to engage in that dialogue, it's really interesting what you learn about people. Mm. And, you know, it may be I know a lot about gifting and you know a lot about investing and we can share knowledge. Mm. So it actually, believe it or not, can be fun and it helps you get to know the other people in your life a little bit better. Well, there are investment clubs, which I think is a great idea. Yes. Right. But they have a shared goal. They're not really sharing they're sharing their research on whether, for example, to buy a stock or not, or whether to sell a stock that they've bought before. They're not, sh- I don't think, I'm not a member of an investment club, but I don't imagine they're sharing a lot about their personal financial situations, you know, what their incomes are, what their assets are, that kind of thing. But you know, I have not been part of an investment club. I have interviewed people who have been in investment clubs, and it is a great way, if that interests you, to connect and to learn more about money in general and investing. Uh, There are also just basic money literacy courses that are out there. Um, There are ways in which you can, um, you know, you could volunteer, I'm being creative, but you could volunteer to go into the elementary school and teach kids about money. And Mm -hmm. then sometimes by teaching, you're forced to learn some concepts Mm. and to teach them and you can learn alongside um, the students. So yeah. there's a variety of ways. I do think working with a holistic advisor can be useful. And mm-hmm. um, if you are feeling anxious or uncertain, or you've gone through a difficult transition and you just feel really uncomfortable with money, or you're going back into the workforce and you don't know how to negotiate, 
that's a time to call somebody like me um, in to really work with that emotional piece. And and it isn't like in-depth long-term therapy. I'm a recovered therapist. I know what that is. Uh, It can be very short-term. It can help you feel much, much better. I can definitely see the value of someone coming to you to talk about money because it's such a private thing. So they'd want to talk about it in a private setting with you. It can be. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's very private. I think what is interesting, though, is when I work with professional women around negotiation and the psychology of negotiation and asking for what you're worth, whether you work in a corporation or for yourself, I find, you know, I run uh, groups where it's individual sessions, but there's also a group component. And that group component with women around negotiation is really powerful. Mm. Dare I say, I think sometimes more powerful than my individual work because seeing that other people are struggling and also yeah. uh, celebrating their victories or brainstorming solutions. I think a group of women, and it's probably the same thing that happens in an investment club. I think that can be really useful and empowering. I can see a group setting would be really helpful for that kind of, for that focused kind of uh, job negotiation, salary negotiation, where they yeah, because you strategy. feel so alone with it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. I really think what you do is fantastic uh, and so much in need, uh, hopefully in demand. <laughs> for oh, thank you. So people- I love it. I love doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel very fortunate that people share uh, their financial thoughts and beliefs and lives with me. Um, yeah. Because that's quite an honor. Uh, I often am sometimes the first person they do that with yeah. in depth, and then that allows them uh, to go on and do it more often. And I, I really believe it's a very lofty goal, but I believe if each and every one of us had a conversation we were a little uncomfortable uh, having around finance, a little uncomfortable, that eventually this money talk taboo and this money taboo would go away in our society. That is my hope and dream for future generations. Well, with this podcast and your work, I hope that will happen. And your podcast. So what, what tips do you have for breaking money silence in, a, in your family? Uh, that's yes. a whole topic onto itself, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to talk to strangers about money than it is your family. Right. Um, I think one of the things to know about talking about money in your family, and an exercise I often give family members to do is if you are, especially if you're a parent or your sibling and you're feeling kind of competitive, if you don't want to talk about the actual dollars and cents, that's okay. You can start by talking about your values. One of the exercises I do is I have people identify what their top three values are in their life, and then they look at a credit card statement or a debit card statement, and you go, am I spending according to these values? Because if you are spending according to your values, you're more aligned, you usually feel better about your relationship with money. And if you're not, then that's something to notice. Well, the next step of that exercise is to have a family come together and nobody's values are right or wrong, but share the outcome of that. Mm. And especially with the next generation, you know, what's important to you? How might you use money to, um, you know, honor the value of, you know, being committed to climate change? How might you um, honor the fact that, you know, for me, it's I love being outside. I love skiing and mountain biking. And so a large amount of our income and our money goes to supporting those types of experiences. Mm, So engaging in a conversation about values is a pretty non-threatening way um, to talk to your family members about money. And the only thing that I think is really important to hang on to 
is it's not about you being right and the other person being wrong. It's about you really listening to each person. That tends to be the tricky part with families. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. not trying to convince everybody. And yeah. trust me, I've been there. My way is the right way. Uh, and that's not the approach. It's more a curiosity as to, huh, that's really interesting. That's very different than what I think. Tell me more. Yeah, but what do you do with that information? You can't necessarily convince the other family member not to go into so much debt or to sp spend so lavishly, right? You just... Well, no, you know what? It, it, it's not about doing anything. And I think that's the hard part. Like yeah. often when we think of finances, we think black and white, either making money or losing money, or we think that you have to do something. I actually am a big proponent of understanding the other person is the doing. So it may be that someone you care about is in a great amount of debt and you're trying to understand, you know, how do you think about debt? Um, does this bother you? Um, what, if anything, might change, you know, this debt that you have? Is it something you want to pay off? Is it something that you just don't really care about? So I think understanding their mindset around it can yeah. be such useful information um, and yes, of course, if someone's in extreme debt, you're going to want to help them. But understanding where they're coming first without judging them is kind of the key to having these conversations. And then based on that information that they share and conversations over time, they may decide they want to do something about it. Yeah. Um, they may not, which yeah. is the hard part. <laughs> yes. Would you recommend that family members lend money to family members? Oh, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not against family members loaning money to each other. I, I actually have a colleague and a friend, he's a former student, who actually works with families to write up documents. So when they are actually loaning money to each other, it's just like a bank. They have documents. They have a repayment schedule. You don't always have to be that formal. But I do think if you are going to lend money in your family, it's putting it in writing, not because you don't trust the person, not because you don't love the person, but because we forget how much we borrowed, what the terms were. I mean, there's a reason that we legally put things in writing. It's yeah, because right. we don't always remember. Yeah. And so having, it could even be a memo. When I was a kid, my dad lent me money for school, and it was called a memorandum of understanding. Uh -huh. uh, and so we had that memorandum we use those, where, yeah. you know, he taught me this lesson. And at the time, I thought, this is so silly. But you know what? It was a really great lesson. So I say put it in writing. Um, and make sure that if you are giving them money, that there's some sort of skin in the game for that person. And if this keeps happening and they're not repaying and you're not repaying you, then the gift you want to give them is to stop lending them money. Yeah. And I do work with parents um, and people who fall into that trap uh, because often it's very, very well intended. Um, and it comes from their own money history and their desire to do something different. And so we just work at, well, how do you still gift the gift? Give. How do you still give the gift, but doing it in a different way than actually lending money? Right. Sometimes it's sitting down and problem solving with them or giving them half the money and they have to come up with half the money. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. Yes. But it requires that people have an open conversation about money. Yes. Something I think that so. people still can't, you know, not everyone can. Well, do. and it's not about mom or dad sneaking you know, yeah. $500 to the kid when they're home from college, that ultimately is not useful. Um, that lack of transparency. Yeah. Uh, it's really about being open about it. And then I, I do think, depending on the age and the circumstances, unless it's a gift that someone's giving because they want to give it now before they um, die, then it, there should be some sort of repayment or some sort of um, 
trade-off. It shouldn't just necessarily be free money unless it's truly a gift. Yeah. You know, that concept of enabling a child if you're too helpful? Mm, you're not. Yes. yes. And, and I really feel for the parents that get in that situation. Yeah. Because usually they're just trying so hard and it's just about learning to say no. And that isn't always easy, right? No, it's not easy. No. And what do you think about parents who lend money or give potentially money to their children for their real estate, for their first home or their second home? You know, I think it really varies on the circumstances, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it's hard to say that's good, that's not good. Mm -hmm. I do know a lot of uh, parents are doing that. Uh, I know in my family that happened with my sister. And so part of it is, again, I think if it's represented as, and this is my own money belief, you may have a different one. Uh -huh. um, if it's represented as, you know, we want to gift this to you while you're alive and this is going to allow you to do it. That's a different thing than, you know, getting somebody, giving somebody a gift uh, in terms of real estate and then getting them in a situation where they can't afford the payments or it's a house that's out of their market. Or, um, so there's so many moving factors. I think it's up to the family, but really thinking about what your motive is and then being really clear with that person. But also, if they're siblings, also being clear with all the other siblings, because that's what creates yes. um, a lot of financial tension in families, especially when mom and dad are no longer with us. That's right. That's true. That's a tricky one, for sure. Well, there's so much to cover here. Um, how do people get hold of you? Because everyone needs uh, you. <laughs> um, you can get a hold of me. At, the easiest way is to go through my website, breakingmoneysilence.com. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in online courses that are about the psychology of money, mm -hmm. uh, you can go to courses.breakingmoneysilence.com. Or I also am on social media. Yeah. And the best way to reach me nowadays is on LinkedIn under Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. And I do want to make one offer before I go for What's your that? audience. Maybe yeah. you can put it in your show notes. So part of what you asked is how do you start money conversations? So if you go to my website, and I'll also give you a direct link to this, mm -hmm. um, you can sign up for 52 Money Talk Tips. And what that is, is every week you get an email to your inbox with about a paragraph of an idea on how to start a money conversation. Fabulous. So for 52 weeks, you're being reminded in different creative ways. Uh -huh. um, you know, if you like them, great, try them out. If there's one week where you're like, that's eh, not my thing, hit delete. And there's no obligation beyond that. I just want to put out different creative ways for people to engage in money conversations. And it's been a pretty successful program that people have been able to take advantage of. Thank you. That sounds wonderful. I definitely will promote that um, as often as I can to divorcing and divorced clients, men and women, because I think I'm sure mm -hmm. of the 52 weeks, there are probably 50 wonderful tips. Oh. Well, there are, yes, and for men and women, and also if you happen to be uh, listening in and you're a financial professional, uh, you can also sign up for the financial advisor ones that are specific to helping your clients. Oh. So I have a bunch of different, I have a lot of ideas. You as do. Figured out. <laughs> a whole different approach to a whole different audience than one for, one for direct clients and one for financial advisors and helping them. Talk yeah, I'm to trying to be the bridge it. between the two worlds yeah. so people can um, break money silence, whether it's at work or at home. That's a solid bridge. Kathleen, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you. Kathleen Burns, uh, Kingsbury. It's been great to break money silence with you. <laughs>